0: Kaboom! I mean, literally. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> ki- keeping on with our chill vibes apocalypse. Listen, you know, our our first two movies of the month were very indie darling. Oh yeah, you know, almost like on the verge of indie comedy films, uh-huh, right? Uh uh-huh. This one is. Uh, it, I don't know if it necessarily falls in line with chill vibes apocalypse. Uh, but definitely, there were vibes. There was, uh, <laughs>
1: there were absolutely vibes. Uh, first of all, like I think before we get too deep into this episode, we need to address a uh, a big revelation that you just uh, dropped right before we we hit record. Uh, because as uh, folks who have been listening to the lead up to this, will will remember that I said that I've been looking forward to watching this movie for a long time, uh, and now I kind of regret it. <laughs> Yeah, so, well, right before we record, you were, you were reading some of the trivia and uh, a particular fun fact uh, about Lars von Trier.
0: I mean, it's a fact. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily <laughs> fun, but uh, so during the Cannes Film Festival press conference for this movie, writer and director Lars von Trier responded to a question about the use of Wagner's music by calling himself a Nazi and saying that he sympathized with Hitler. Despite apologizing for his remarks, uh, he was banned from the remainder of the festival and declared a person non grata by festival organizers. Uh, and this was, uh, and then in, uh, 2022, um, that he, you know, basically said like, this is what cost him everything, you know, like he can't do, uh, award shows or anything like that. Um, but, uh, the, he did end up, uh, going on to, to do Nymphomaniac and, uh, the house that Jack built after this and still getting a little bit of, uh. Uh, a treat to it, I guess, um, uh, which is pretty wild.
1: Because as we know, in the 21st century United States of America, being a straight-up Nazi is not a career-ender for you. Uh, and listen, I want to go right it's on a record. It's
0: presidency. Yeah,
1: That's... <laughs> literally. I want to go on record in the first minutes of this episode uh, saying, like, uh, I was not aware of that, and uh, the Never Heard of It podcast, as you will know from the very beginning, uh, is not uh, Nazi sympathizers. And, uh, we do not believe that no matter how many times you apologize or how badly your career was ruined, you can't come back from Hitler was right.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, once, once you say it, you know, you know, as we said, like, uh, the only time it's okay to say Hitler was right is if it's in reference to him killing himself, You yes. like Hitler was right to have killed himself. That was, yes.
1: that was the right decision. That's the um, right, that's
0: the right call to make where yeah. you use those words. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. uh, that said, uh, hello and welcome to the Never <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> I think in five years,
0: that's your first time kicking it off. I think
1: so. <laughs> uh, uh, so I guess uh, here we are. I'm Sabrina Buckets. Not,
0: not a Nazi. A not a Nazi. Also not a Nazi. Yes, <laughs> I think we. You know, I know for a fact we can say that also Nightshift Media Group does not condone. Any sort of even slightly Nazi sympathizing uh, sort of people. So
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, Nazis are not. I I have to admit that I'm almost kind of regretting watching this movie for other reasons
0: too. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, this is this is kind of a bummer of a movie. Ah, now like
1: several ways over. I'm sorry. I'm still I'm hung up on. Somebody asked him about using Wagner's music. And the response wasn't just like, "Oh, it's beautiful pieces. I love the music. I wanted to separate it from the person," which is the standard cop-out answer. That sure. like this that idea, like, you know what? You're if you're the worst person alive, and no one knows that yet, just keep your mouth shut. Like <clears throat> you're still the worst person alive, but nobody has to know, and you just keep doing what you. Do. But you know what? Thank you for for adding yourself over. The simplest of questions. All right, I'm over it now. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, we've said it multiple
0: times. that like, this is the same thing J.K. Rowling should have done. Just like, shut the fuck up, collect your millions. Everybody would still love Harry Potter and adore her. Oh, yeah. You know, because no one would know any different, whatever. I mean, look, we want to know if you're a shitty person, but at the same time, like, if you created something that people latched onto and like people like dedicated their whole personalities to things like Harry Potter... And she fucked it up for a lot of people, you know, and that's, it's a shame. She could have been like Stephanie Meyer who wrote all the Twilight books and was just kind of like... I'm just sort of Mormon and weird, but that's about it, you know, and like could have kept it at that and everyone would be cool with it. You know, like people are not upset that they're making another Twilight one, a a Twilight series because Stephanie Meyer is a bad person. They're upset because those were bad things. Yes. They were bad movies. That's why they're upset.
1: I have no (laughs) personal qualms with Stephanie Meyer. Uh, I have not enjoyed a single piece of uh, media associated with her name, but that has nothing to do with her that's as a person, it.
0: right? Right, right. She's just a weirdo Mormon, and she can go sit in a corner. That I know of. Maybe she's outed herself as something else, but that's all I know. But yeah, so we are covering the movie Melancholia, which came out in two thousand eleven, sure uh, and as we mentioned, it uh premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and did win a bunch of awards there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I can see why, just because I, I like, you know, I watched this movie. It is visually gorgeous. The sound design, whether or not the choice of music was ideal. The sound design was excellent. Sure. Um, I start to I, I start to lose it a little bit when you get past the the technical details of the film. Uh, so first and foremost, this is a it clocks in at like two hours, 16 minutes. So this is on the longer side of films that we review, but this literally was two one hour films just kind of shoved together. And I have seen, we have talked about movies that have multiple plot lines and should have chosen one. This is literally two separate films about I, uh, easily. I mean, you could have made them about completely different people too, with how differently some of these characters act.
0: Yeah. I, that was the biggest thing that got me, you know, when the movie started. I I was like, okay, you know, we're gonna follow. I saw, you know, part one. Justine, you mm-hmm. know, Justine is played by Kirsten Dunst, and I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna follow Justine along, and then we're gonna jump to the groom, then we're gonna jump, you know, because she's about to get married. Sure, you know, we're gonna jump to, you know, Charlotte Gainsbourg who who plays her sister Claire, and I was like, oh, maybe Kiefer Sutherland will have a moment, you know, who plays uh, her uh, brother-in-law, and I'm like, you know, whatever it is, like, cool. I, I kind of get the feel, you know, this is an art house film, like right off the bat you know this is an art house film. This Mm -hmm. is not an indie darling or an indie gem. Like, they are being heavy, heavy art uh, on this. Uh, And I was like, okay, cool. And then, you know, we see Kirsten Dunst and she has this, you know, cute little thing. She's getting married to uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who plays a character named Michael. So Justine and Michael are about to get married. They're in a limo, but the limo can't fit around this, like, tiny, windy road. And they're all trying to figure it out. Very cute moment, right? You know, this is them on their way to their wedding uh, reception. It was a really cute moment and this started and I'm like, cool, we're setting the vibes. I get it. Like, this is a very chill, like, you know, things escalate from here. But they escalated in not the way that I thought they would do. Yeah. In fact, they escalated so much so that I'm like, this movie has no chill. What the fuck is happening?
1: And so like... Part one features all of the imagery that anyone uh, who has seen, like, posters or trailers from like from this movie probably remembers, and that's mostly Kirsten Dunst running around in her gorgeous wedding dress, just being yeah. her gorgeous self uh, uh, in a deep depression. Uh, you know, obviously, Melancholia, the title, is a play on a depression diagnosis, Um but also later we learn the name given to the newly discovered blue planet that is hurtling rapidly towards Earth um, that, you know, again, from all the promotional material we see as, like, on a collision course. The entire... I'm going to say the entire first film was just about the wedding. And it was honestly the worst wedding I've ever seen. Everyone was terrible. Oh, my God. Uh, Everything yeah. went wrong. But it was mostly, like... Things went wrong because people were being aggressively terrible to each other and mostly directed to, to, uh, uh, Justine, uh, as though everyone else knew the rules, but Justine never did.
0: Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> you were leading it up. I, I started picking up on it. Uh, Yeah. So that, that's the thing about this movie is, is the, you know, there is a slight hint to the planet. So, you know, at one point when they finally get to the, uh, to the resort area, um, which, uh, it appears as though her sister and her husband run, uh, Claire and John, they own this giant golf resort hotel sort of getaway thing. 18 holes, by the way, it was very important to note out.
1: Spoken several times that there are 18 holes. yet at one point we see a 19th hole flag
0: So it totally was a 19th hole. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, That was pointed out to me as well. And I was like, I I didn't notice, but that's very funny.
1: So there's a lot about, it's like, it's a giant, like, country estate. It's a manor home with a full golf course and, like, beachfront views and things like that. And there's a whole backstory to this. That is heavily implied through characters' dialogue, but never given to us. We have no idea why, but um, there's this whole notion of, oh, Claire, like, you, like, Claire's husband, I guess. We, he's, that that relationship is never really stated. We just, like, eventually figure it out. Uh, but he's super shitty, but is clearly somewhat in charge. Justine, everyone's like, oh, you hated this place. You, you thought you'd never come here, but she loves one of the horses and thinks she's the only one that can ride it. But, like every family member is somehow deeply familiar with this place, yet it's also basically a B and B. Like it's yeah. very confusing, uh, and again, just like really leads into the like what what was your original idea here, buddy?
0: Yeah. So, so we learned right off the bat that there's something wrong with, uh, I, I use the term something wrong with, but that's something that she refers to herself, that there's something wrong with Justine. Mm-hmm. At first I thought it was something, uh, more, uh, more psychiatric. You know, I thought maybe she was, you know, severe depression, bipolar, like there was something going on with her where she was going through fits of, yeah. of like, this is okay to like absolute dread, um, you know, it was our wedding, and I know people get emotional and you know all sorts of feelings. But like, it was really into like the 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 mood swings were really intense.
1: There are very few bad days to have a crippling depressive episode. Your wedding day, when you're surrounded by like dozens, if not hundreds, of friends, family, and sometimes strangers, is uh, is pretty it's be pretty up there for bad times for it to happen. Yeah. Uh, but when your your closest family are also like all people who completely lack empathy and have no patience or uh, seemingly any joy in their own lives and you are very clearly trying to to put on a a, a a positive front while you are crumbling inside uh yeah that's a bad day so like it's very clear that Justine is having a very bad day on her wedding day but like yeah like you said it, it's it's implied that that's what she's going through she's going through a deep depressive episode uh, but also potentially implied that maybe she's actually ill we never we never really get an explanation and then later on implied that maybe it was because she knew the end of the world was happening and nobody else did
0: yeah there was there was a really weird moment where it almost uh i i got the implication that maybe she had something like ms or something Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and that's you know because because there was a part where you know the sister says to her like you can't tell your husband, like you don't understand the giant, you know, the heavy burden this is gonna cause for him. And she's like, yeah, I fucking know that. Yeah. And I was like, tell him what? And then we see her, you know, she makes a statement of like, you know, I'm having trouble walking. Like I can't even walk uh, simply anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, those are all signs of MS, right? Like she's in severe depression because of MS. She's having trouble walking. She's having trouble stabilizing. Got it. Like, yeah. okay, this is this is the, the, the plot of the movie, right? This is why she's spiraling. But it's not that. No. <laughs> That's the worst part about it. It's like uh, if, if that wasn't enough, <laughs> you know, but wait, there's more, right? <laughs> it's she also is just uh, she just goes through this crazy like like spiral where she ends up uh, you know, uh having sex with some guy who's been uh tasked to chase after her to get a a uh, byline for their job, yeah. Uh, for her to basically come up with a tagline because she works in advertising, yeah. So basically, to get a tagline for, her, and she ends up fucking him on the golf course while her husband watches from the thing, and then leaves her.
1: Okay, so <laughs> he could see that. Like, I it was yeah. it was not framed in a way that was clear that he witnessed that. But then, when like half an hour, he leaves her. I'm like, oh, okay. But then, I, that was my
0: assumption when we see him looking out the window at that yeah, one point, yeah. and then he starts packing his stuff. I was like, gotcha, he he saw it happen, but, um, I assume.
1: But, like, all we actually see in that moment is, like, him seeing her walking back. So, like, yeah, like, I think it's, it's a reasonable assumption to think that he saw her and then just, like, watched as she walked back. But all we saw was him, like, looking at, like, outside, and there she is and, like, okay, I'm leaving now. Yeah. guess that's it. It was very detached feeling.
0: Uh, a lot of the first, I mean, honestly, the first half of this movie, I i almost could have done without. Oh, yeah. Or I could have done without the second half if the whole movie was about the first half.
1: That's so, that's where I say, like, th- this needed to be either two completely separate films, one about the worst wedding you've ever seen and one about, like, the wildest end of the world. Uh, you can picture it. which going back to last week, this is the kind of scenario where I'm talking about that like everyone should be concerned. Whereas like, you know, an asteroid impact, a lot of the like uh, the, the imagined uh, scenarios for apocalypse are things that like definitely take a significant an- amount of time to like have a true catastrophic extinction effect uh, and probably won't kill everyone. I mean that's right. like that's not exactly an optimistic outlook, but still, um, versus <laughs> something like this, where like a planet that is larger than Earth is literally colliding with and is going to like completely destroy it. Yeah, we're all fucked in that case. Yeah. Um, but it, it, so we needed to have either the the wedding and the end of the world, or have the end of the world being an impending part of why everyone's freaked out during the wedding, like everyone's just playing, you know, playing a a part knowing that things are ending or the terrible wedding is just a, like the opening act of everything's falling apart. Like, Either one of those things. You could have separated them and had them separate films, or you could have condensed one into an act or, like, a part of the story of the other and told a richer, more robust story there. But we just have a lot of walking around outside, sometimes naked, content warning. You see Kristen, Kirsten Dunst fully naked. Uh, a couple times A couple over. times, yep. yep. Uh, people just looking through telescopes at things that... uh would not be visible in the same spot, both in daytime and nighttime. So, like, already we know the science is completely fucked in this movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, actually, uh, speaking of which, I I saw a a Neil deGrasse Tyson um, TikTok about this movie specifically, where he mentions, uh, and if I'm remembering correctly, where he mentions that when the other planet... Atmosphere crosses our atmosphere. The sound of it alone would kill like everyone on the planet because it would be the most deafening sound you know you've ever you know we're talking tens of thousands like hundreds of thousands of decibels. Yeah, as the two atmospheres, not the not the physical not bodies, the but the atmospheres yeah. crash. That's well, what would would cause that.
1: Which here we just get a, a dramatic, steady r- building, rumbling, uh, yeah. and. A, a, I think it's really interesting, especially because throughout this entire film, it is also impossible to tell if this impending disaster is real or it's just an allegory for whatever uh, first Justine and then later seemingly Claire are going through
0: Yeah, you know, and so, you know, there's uh, uh, Claire eventually finds this thing on the internet where it's basically saying like, hey, this is the path and it's called the death's dance Mm -hmm. and it's Earth's death dance. So basically what's going to happen is the planet is going to pass by. It's going to pass by Earth doing uh, Earth doing a flyby and then it's going to kind of like orbit around it and fly back, but then slingshot back into it. So it's going to kind of like wind up and then slam back into it. Mm -hmm. And scientists we're saying, we we don't really get into the science a lot. You know, the only science uh, notes we get are via Kiefer Sutherland, who is our kind of link to what the outside world is feeling, because we don't see anything. No news broadcasts, no radio, nothing, and it's just him saying look, all the scientists are saying it's going to fly by us and it's going to pass by. It's going to be really close. It's going to be, you know, kind of scary, but everything's going to be fine. Um, But what really is going to happen is it's going to fly by and then smash back into us. And that's a fact we don't learn definitively until literally the end of the movie where it does, in fact, start coming back to, uh, to Earth. And that's the point where you know, the kind of the movie shifts. And I think you're right. We could have started the wedding. It could have been a normal wedding. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is amazing. We're at this wedding. We're going to have a flyby of a planet, like the discovery of, you know, the planet coming by, like it's going to be this very big celestial event. And then over the course of the wedding, realizing that that's not actually what's happening, that the planet is in fact going to slam back into Earth. And of course, this takes place over the course of several days. Yeah.
1: And uh, the... I would be remiss if we didn't mention Keith or Sutherland's performance here, where he seems to be literally just phoning it in for the entire film and mostly yeah. just saying unbelievable over and over again. But granted, I'll give him, he literally just spent a decade. Uh, playing out a single day and that would be exhausting for anyone. So I'll no give sleep. him that. No slave. Like he went right from this one 10-year-long day uh, into making this movie. And she's like, you know what? I I could I could use a nap. I could I could fucking you know what? Okay, fine. I'll be in this weird ass movie, Lars. Lars, you fucking
0: weirdo. Yeah. Uh. It also to note, and I I know I've brought this up on the podcast before, but in an episode of uh 24, over the course of one day, remember 24 hours, uh, Kiefer Sutherland becomes hooked on heroin, crashes a plane, leaves unscathed, and becomes not hooked on heroin anymore. Uh, all in the course of like six hours, like Amazing. that. That was like an actual plot of this movie, uh, of that series. Amazing. So, and it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't like, are you fucking kidding me? I was like, hell yeah, Jack Bauer. Fucking do that shit, you know? Like, I was cheering for him the whole way, but, like, in my brain, I, logistically, I'm like, well, obviously, this is a little far-fetched.
1: But I didn't care. I didn't even
0: care. Jack Bauer, your cool fucking s- satchel.
1: Uh, no, I'm just picturing my parents watching this show religiously, whatever it was on, and being, like, super hooked on it. And, like... A lot of things from later in both of their lives make sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Dude, when I, when I worked at Fox, we got the coolest promo assets from the 24 show. Like we got the countdown clock that we could change it to be whatever like time we wanted. So if you wanted to count it down to the time it aired in our time zone, oh, perfect! like we got so many cool assets and I remember <laughs> playing with all of them. It was really, really cool. So kudos to the, to the promo team that did the 24, uh, uh, promo assets because they were fucking dope. They were really cool to play with.
1: Yeah. So in film one of Melancholia, the the film titled Justine, uh, we get to we get the experience of Justine having the worst day of her life, presumably on what everyone feels like should be the happiest. That's debatable when you look at the the lengthy history of marriage. Um, but uh, which I should add is not a commentary on my own. I'm very happy. Uh, but Good call on sh- sh- that. Yeah, that disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't at me. I love my partner. Um, the, she, she's had the worst day of her life and like barely hanging on in what seems like a complete uh, mental and or physical breakdown. Uh, her husband leaves her uh, on their wedding day. Her family is all super mad and like everyone is gaslighting or yelling at her or talking down to her, never listening and never acknowledging that she's having a bad time. They're just like trying to force her to do things. And so she finally just kind of gives up. And the day ends and as everyone is leaving, Tim, the, uh, the, the nephew of her boss, who was also the best man, uh, who was the one who that, is the, Alexander
0: Skargard's dad yeah. in real life is Stellan Skarsgård.
1: Stellan yeah. The cast of this was ridiculous. Uh, Tim, <clears throat> uh, the one that was supposed to hunt her down for the tagline, the one that she fucked on the golf course, uh, has the staggeringly audacious, proposition of, well, it seems that you've lost both your husband and your job, because she she reams out the boss for being the horrible person that he is, and hounding her during her wedding for fucking work. Uh, Anyway... He's like, it seems like you've lost everything. How about you and I get together? Because, you know, you're creative and I know business and we did fuck. And she's like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. He's like, you're right. You're right.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I also want to point out that not only did uh, her boss be- hound her her entire wedding for work, he also promoted her in the middle of the wedding mm-hmm. uh, to to like a senior position. And she was like... Oh, like I literally just married a multi-million dollar person who are, apparently we now own an apple orchard. Like, that's yeah. I think the goal was to not work. She, she did mention it several times over of like not wanting to work anymore. And yeah. then like he just promotes her and then still is trying to get her to work on her wedding day.
1: That's just the... Uh, like, yeah, everybody is just making all these decisions for her and doing all these things at her and never involving her. Uh, that is a very, very heavy theme throughout this film. And, yeah, you, you, you're right. You mentioned that uh, uh, whats his nuts, her husband buys an orchard and, like, springs it on her that day. He's like, I wasn't going to tell you, but, like, I got this for you. And, like, someday you'll be able to sit under the trees. And she's like, cool. I don't think I could possibly care less about your fucking orchard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it, this whole like everything about this first the first part of this movie just like it makes me wonder how it ever got to this point in the movie because right. I'm like how did you ever get to the point of having this I mean we're going to assume probably 400,000 dollar plus wedding, oh, you know, easily. it was probably somewhere in the in the high 100,000s. Kiefer makes uh, it uh, a point
1: wedding. to tell her that it is a lot of money.
0: Yes, which he even says like you know, I spent a lot of money on this wedding and the deal is you have to be happy. Mm -hmm. And she's like, deal, which she clearly is not given everything she had just done. Yeah. Uh, You know, but like that was his deal. And I'm like, this is rough. Um, But yeah, so like, how did it even get, like, how did they even get to being married, get to the actual wedding? Because like, it looks like she is just not in it.
1: You know what? Like that made me think of, Uh, Rachel getting married, which was in a lot of ways a very similar energy in the wedding itself. Like, this was just like the old money version of Rachel getting married. But in that film, we got a shit ton of backstory into how and why this family was dysfunctional and, like, what everyone's deal was. In Melancholia, we had over two hours of time to fill with like world building and relationship establishing and character fleshing out. And we don't get a goddamn thing.
0: Well, the worst part about it is one of the best characters who who just seemed like he's the one having, who's just like living a good life and having the best time is fucking John Hurt. Yes. Who is, is Kirsten Dunn's father in the movie. Yes. And he's like, you know, playing pranks on the waiters by stealing all the spoons. Obviously, he's going to sell them later. Uh-huh. Uh, but he's like, you know, flirting with all the women guests and having fun with all the boys, you know, and like the little kids. And he's like chasing around the little kids and he's being super sweet to his wife or to his uh, daughter. Of course, he says a very shitty speech about his uh, ex-wife, yes, uh who, who is a very terrible and, person. Right. He's like, here's my ex-wife, she's a terrible person, and she stands up and she's like, I am, and here's why. Yeah, goddamn right. Like, right, okay. So I was right, you know, but like he's having the best time in this wedding, like yeah. clearly. And he fucks off early in the wedding, and it was like, damn, I wish he stuck around. He was awesome. He I, was a great time.
1: I love John Hurt, and I miss yeah. him all right. Yes, seriously. All yeah. right, to a legend who, as far as I know, War doctor. As far as I know wasn't a terrible person. And if he was, he kept his goddamn mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's what I'm saying. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So, so we've we've heard all about this Claire thing. So, you know, there's again in the first part of the movie, there's a brief mention where, you know, she gets out and she's like, Oh, it's a constellation. Hey, what is that one specific star? And, you know, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, they they, you know, of course, give us this information because it's important later in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh she's like, you know, oh, uh John is his name. Oh, John, you you know what this star is. You're the expert. And he says, oh, I wouldn't call me an expert. And his wife, of course, is like, Yes, you would. <laughs> uh, which is, which <laughs> it was a funny little you know part like husband wife play thing and he's like okay so that's the the scorpio uh, uh constellation and that's the star Antares. Mm-hmm. So this is the star that you're seeing. And then later in the film, uh, or actually in the first part of the film, later in the first part of the film, she goes back out and looks at the constellation, which would not be in the same place. No, by the way. Uh, and uh, she looks, and we we notice that Antares is now gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you can't see it anymore. And she's like, "Oh, that's weird that it's not gone." But what we learn is, of course, Melancholia is blocking um, that star uh, because the we learn that Melancholia is. basically Basically, been hiding behind our sun, like in a, in a somewhat synchronous orbit, so that we just could have never seen it because of where it was. Also not a thing that can happen, but I mean, there's ways around it. It is, it, it,
1: listen, it is entirely possible and has even been theorized that there could be a planet that is exactly opposite soul from us to the point where we would never see it. That is, that is feasible. That could be a reality, but that planet barring the craziest of circumstances, is not going to come free of its orbit and come smashing into Earth. Uh, So, again, like, right there, the science is totally fucked in this film.
0: Well, yeah, because also the the planet doesn't travel on any sort of orbit. It just kind of is you know, marbling, you know, it's pool ball through space and just sort of bouncing around. It doesn't really have like a trajectory per se, you know, so like even the whole idea of the death's dance thing, like when you see the arrows and they show you where it's doing, it just kind of like right turns out of nowhere, you know, it's sort of 180s and just comes back to smash into Earth for no scientific reason whatsoever.
1: Yeah, that's like, we you know, you mentioned that their their original thing is like, oh, it it was behind the sun, we couldn't see it. Okay. Okay. You know, even in the case of a rogue planet, if it's in the right spot in like in the path of our our star, it is possible we would miss it. But where they just completely fuck up is this notion that that object is going to be visible from the same place in the same spot in the sky night and day repeatedly. Uh, when it very clearly would have to be, even you know, even a rogue planet is is traveling directionally because of forces acting on it. So like it would have to be just traveling in its in its path towards us, and like if we're if we're facing away, we're facing away, which also leads me to like, oh, well, we'll talk about it at the end. Like the the whole tension in this story is that the planet's going to smash right in, and people are able to watch it happen. But imagine being on the other side of the planet. Imagine <laughs> knowing it's happening, but not being able to see it.
0: Right, oh yeah, that would be messed up. Fuck. I mean, the same idea as the asteroid, right? You know, yeah. the same idea as in Seeking a Friend, a 13 mile wide asteroid is smashing into America, mm-hmm. and you in Australia
1: is like, I don't know, mate, like. Time to go to the bunk, eh?
0: Yeah. Uh, oh
1: no, spite <laughs> oh, <yeah>. us. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs>
0: uh yeah so so there's the our first hour of the movie right is is spent on this horrible wedding watching uh Justine just spiral the the hardest way possible you know, uh you know obviously she does she does do a lot of shitty things, right? You know, she, you know, she ditches the wedding for like an hour at some point like every, you know, the wedding keeps getting delayed, she keeps bailing on people, you know, she's she's running off and like disrupting the plans, which I get. It's her wedding, she could, she could do what she want, but she's also abandoning her husband most of this movie. Uh and then eventually she goes and fucks the other guy, but everybody else is also incredibly shitty back to her. Mm-hmm. So everybody's just being <laughs> shitty in this movie while this person just sparks and no one's like, hey, maybe we should stop all this and like do something to help. Yeah. Uh, but that's not how this works. So that's like our first half of our movie. But then we get to the second half of the movie, which is then follows, supposedly follows Claire, which the first half of Claire still follows Justine mm-hmm. uh, pretty, pretty distinctly. We don't really get into Claire until later in her thing. And then we circle back to Justine. Justine yeah. ends up being the focus again.
1: Yeah. And like... We we start off Claire's story by basically they're like, Kiefer Sutherland just can't fucking believe that uh, Justine is struggling so badly she might not be able to get herself in a cab to to get there. Unbelievable, unbelievable. She can't do anything. Unbelievable. Uh, and so there there. This is obviously some time has passed since the wedding, and Justine has gone home but is now coming to stay with. The her, her sister and brother-in-law and her nephew in this manor home that is apparently also their home uh, while they wait for melancholia to slam into the earth, presumably. Yes.
0: Well, fly by, because at this point, they still think it's flying by, you Uh know, because again, they don't really learn till the very end of the movie.
1: But Justine knows things.
0: Oh, but Justine knows. Right. That was the other thing that I was like, fucking what? Yeah. Like, Justine just knows that. Like, where the hell is this coming from? You can't throw in this, like, psychic, prophetic thing in the middle of a movie and be like... Anyways, so she's a prophet, but here's Claire yep. hanging out, yo. And you're like, no, wait, back the fuck up. Nice. Why are you psychic?
1: <laughs> we need to revisit this uh, yes. or we need to visit it at all. Really? If we're being yes. honest, cause we didn't, we didn't really spend any time with it. We, we, yeah, no, none. We waved to it from the car on the way by.
0: Yeah. And I was like, but wait, should we stop? Hang on. I think we should stop. (laughs) I think, I think we should, that's, this is a pullover moment. I think this is Uh, definitely a pullover moment. moment. Like
1: really like everybody get out. Like it doesn't matter if you need to pee, go do it because you don't know when you're going to get another chance. Uh, Meanwhile, you were saying about knowing things, Justine. Yes. <laughs>
0: Say more, please. Uh, yeah, which you know, that's another sort of flash in the pan moment, which is is brought up two more times, but it is it is entirely dismissed. The entirety of the movie. Oh yeah. Um, which makes it feel like you don't know if it's a you don't know if it's a trait that Justine really has or if she's just. Because she's spiraling and in this, you know, because we know that she's in a huge depression right now Mm -hmm. uh, and whatever it is that she's suffering, if this is just like a a thing that's happened, you know, she's just like, no, I see it. And everyone's like, okay, sweetie, go back to bed. You know, like, we don't know if we're supposed to take it seriously or not. Mm -hmm. And I mean this as in the audience doesn't know, and that's who should know. Yeah, You know, it's okay for the characters to not understand it and maybe have doubts and maybe be like, no, no. But the audience needs to know that information because that drives our emotions for who we actually care for in the movie.
1: It's true. It's true, uh, and so we go from the the Claire in first half of the film, first first film. Claire is the like the organizer of the party, and everyone is coming to her with their problems and shitting on Justine and shitting on Justine's mom, who admittedly deserves it; she's terrible, totally, uh, and shitting on her dad. Like everybody's just shitting all over the place. L- this like metaphorical, just fecal matter smeared all over this wedding and. Claire then redirects that to Justine and is like, I hate you so much sometimes. Like, cool, okay, so these are not close sisters. And then we get to film number two, and Claire is doing everything to, like, take care of and dote on and love, and, like, you know, she's she's struggling, and she's still kind of mean sometimes, but, like, it seems like, okay, maybe this is a loving relationship, except we later get a chance for her to be like, I hate you so much again. and like... Which one is it, Claire? Like what like why is everyone so mean in this film?
0: Yeah. Well, it's really weird because the the emotions of any given character, and I'll even say this of the kid, like there, you know, because cause Claire has a child with John. Mm-hmm. And even that kid, we don't get that kid any time to like be a character. Like he just fucking exists in yep. this movie. Yeah. Uh, but also dope. He on his nightstand had an ATST model <laughs> uh, from Star Wars. This is pretty fucking cool. Nice. Um, but, like, even the kid doesn't get to have that sort of, like, innocence. Like, we don't get another point of view. That's the biggest problem with this movie is that there is no there is no balance in emotions. Like, everybody is on this one far side, and we don't even get, a, a, like, a reasoning for why they're on the far side. So it makes it really hard for you to be like, this is the main character that I need to associate with, or this is the villain of the story that I need to associate with. You just sort of are like, I don't know, man. I kind of don't care if anybody dies. Like mm-hmm. somebody just tell me what's going on. You know like you just you don't feel for any character one way or another.
1: Yeah. So then our our real conflict driver in film number 2 is we see now that like Claire kind of seems to snap or uh, sorry, Justine kind of seems to snap out of her depression and it just kind of wander around being a weirdo and Claire now is like terrified of the uh, of the planet colliding with Earth, and she's convinced it's going to happen. And John keeps telling her, as you mentioned earlier, no, no, the scientists say that it won't. The scientists say that it it won't. But we find out that on the side, John is prepping for the inevitability of bad things happening. Uh, And then, you know, there's this moment where uh, Claire goes out and buys presumably some sort of, of sleeping pill or something that can, uh, allow one to not live anymore. And she, she wisely locks it away, uh, as kind of a, you you can tell she's thinking like, I don't, I don't want to face this if it's going to happen, but like, we're not, we're not going to do anything now, but I want to be prepared to which John eventually like sneaks in, steals them and goes and takes the entire fucking bottle and dies in a horse stall. Uh, And it's just... Completely unannounced, by the way. Yeah. All we
0: see is him sort of like looking in the telescope and looking up and looking in the telescope and you see him kind of have like a... He has like a moment on his face and then he's dead. Yeah. And then he just, he's just... We don't see him actually take the bottle. Yeah, We don't see him go to the stable. He's just gone and dead, period.
1: But like, that is, honestly is one of the best bits of uh acting... In the entire film, it's just that moment where, like, that's your only clue that something's going to happen at this point in the film. Uh, but you can see just in his posture and body language that that John has given up. John has accepted that, like, as much as he wanted to try to keep everyone else calm and not make everyone, you know, be afraid that they were going to die, he knew it was going to happen and at this point. He's like, yep, I'm out. <laughs> See, see y'all see you in the next one
0: yeah <laughs> peace out motherfuckers <laughs> yeah yeah which which is really interesting in itself because you know john was the one you originally being like it's okay like because claire is very concerned right mm-hmm, she's very mm-hmm. upset about it and she you know they even make a point to say that she gets herself worked up about things uh you know and so when when he has that moment of like nope this is it you know it's just it's wild that he just straight up gives up yeah. instead of like doing literally anything else. Um, But very interesting.
1: And, like, it's... It becomes, like, frenetic, like, frenzy towards the end as, like, you know, the power goes out and then John kills himself and Claire, uh, you know, the horse, one of the horses away so that she can... And she, like, covers the body with hay so that people will find it. And she just tells the, the little boy, like, oh, Daddy rode into the village. And... Justine sees through it, and she's like, why didn't he just take one of the cars? Uh, we later learn that the vehicles are, the, uh, I'm sorry, the gasoline-powered vehicles are completely dead. Both of their trucks are completely dead, as with the, the electricity. Somehow, the golf cart still works, but only, only, and here's where I think that they were trying for some huge, like, metaphorical imagery here. There's a particular bridge that every single time Justine and Claire tried to go out riding their horses, Justine's horse would not cross. Uh, like, no matter what she did. At one point, like brutally beating the horse with a riding crop as Claire is just screaming at her. Uh, only for them to like look up, and like that's when they start to notice like the planets closer, or you know, something's wrong. It's like the horse is sensitive, but like there's something about this line that they won't cross. What well, the golf cart only makes it to that line before dying. So clearly. The writer slash director was trying to imply some sort of, like, boundary of, like, being unable to escape this event.
0: Or was it clear?
1: (laughs) Right. I say clearly because it wasn't clear at all. Yeah, so
0: Lars von Trier wrote and directed this movie, but okay, yes, yeah. that was a very dead-end thing, which when the first time we saw it happen, where she rides the horse and the horse won't go past it, but Claire's horse does, mm-hmm. I was like, got it, okay. This is, we're we're setting up a metaphor here, right? Because yep. this is very heavy-handed, yep. you know, or just the fact that we watch a million fucking movies, so we recognize <laughs> patterns. So that's probably more what it's like. <laughs> we're just like, we've seen this a hundred times. It can yeah. be both. It could be both. Uh, so we're like, cool, got it. This is this is a threshold, you know that that the character has to, uh, you know, overcome a threshold, you know, whether it's you know getting over herself emotionally or if it's some sort of point of contention in the film. Sure, but it never goes anywhere. It no. doesn't. It leads to literal nowhere, which is ironic because it is a pathway. But it's just it's it's just really weird. It was another one of those things where I was like, I don't understand the point. Of leading up, like making this be a point, because it's two times. We see it two times where the horse won't cross. And, you know, as you mentioned the second time, she is literally beating the horse, which is yeah. terrible to yes. watch.
1: Yeah. Very, yeah. And, very uncomfortable.
0: And then the thing fails, and it's like, but what, well, so what is it? Is it that you can't escape your troubles? Is that Justine can't escape her troubles? Well, Claire was able to cross it two times. Why can't Claire cross it this time? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't go anywhere, and that was re- the really unfortunate part, because I was like, that could be a cool, you're right, metaphor, allegory, something. It could have. And just fucking went nowhere.
1: Yep. But it's it's basically after that point, after Claire tries unsuccessfully to escape the grounds and, like, get to the village, uh, when Justine uh, obviously knows that she's not going to be able to, and she comes back with the kid, and she tries to just say, hey, why don't we just get some wine and just sit out on the porch together and just just be together and Justine's like ah, that's a fucking piece of shit plan you dumb fuck i hate you so <laughs> much you're so fucking stupid your whole goddamn family's nothing but shit all of you are terrible this is the worst thing i've ever heard you're the you're literally the stupidest person on earth
0: <laughs> super like we're obviously exaggerating but not by a lot <laughs> she literally is like that is the dumbest fucking shit like she goes into claire claire's like Yo, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, I just said we should drink wine and hang out on the terrace and die together. And you're, like, berating me like I said we should, I don't know, put
1: balloons up our ass or something. <laughs> but like, the amazing part is then, like, Justine does her plan and it's not better. It's she, even worse. <laughs> the, so the the whole both both films, there's this uh, this thread that runs through of the nephew... Uh, He calls her anti-steelbreaker. And she's like, he's like, when are we going to build those caves? So there's, again, some sort of backstory with these characters that we get no explanation of. Just there's some apocrypha with this uh, aunt and nephew that they're going to build caves someday, which I don't know how you fucking build a cave, but...
0: Yeah, there's so vague that it's like, I don't fucking know what this means.
1: Then, you know, after... calling Claire's plan the biggest pile of shit that she's ever heard of. The kid is like, what are we going to do? She's like, we're going to build the magic cave, get the sticks. And they just get a bunch of sticks and lean them together like a a tent, like a teepee, sort of. And they get in it and just sit all together. No wine, no singing, no terrace. They're just on the ground under some sticks. And somehow that's a better plan. Right. I I don't... I don't I just... Yeah, there's, it's just so like, it's, it's such a lifeless
0: plan compared to like, like I, I, you know, maybe this is a matter of choice. Right. And obviously they did this for the kid, uh-huh. uh, you know, like this is for that, but like, it's just so emotionless. Like even the kid is kind of like, okay, yeah you know, like there's no, like, thank you. You know, there's just so little emotion in this scene and it's like at least Claire, wanted something nice, you know, she wanted, she even says, like, I just wanted it to be nice for the, for the end of the moment. Like, I wanted us to have a nice time. And I was like, I understand her want for that, for her kid, for her family. And, and it's just so weird that Justine's plan is just like, "Ah, fucking sticks in the woods in the
1: golf course. Well, and then this is these, the third of these, like, space collision disaster films that we've watched in a row. And in the first two, the main character's arrive at like, yes, they're scared, but there's some sense of peace. And they sit down and they like, um, it was a Liza, Liza from Liza from the
0: first. Yeah. From how it ends. Liza
1: sits down with her younger self and just like becomes at peace and faces the, the event, um, the, you know, Dodge and Penny, they lay down in bed together and they just talk together and just enjoy their company. Just you know, for those last few seconds that they can as it happens. These, like, emotionless fucks just sit under some sticks uh, while Claire sobs uncontrollably. The kid becomes a robot. And I think Justine is smiling. I don't know. It's weird.
0: Yeah, I, it is. It was such a weird, you know, and, and the one thing I will say about this movie, which I guess is another content warning, if you if you have any sort of apocalyptic anxieties, you do actually see the planet, like you see them get hit by the planet. Mm -hmm. Like it is very, you see the whole thing. Unlike, you know, how it ends or seeking where it's just sort of implied. You straight up see them like burn and get destroyed and, and all that sort of thing. So keep that in mind again for content warning, Mm -hmm. um, is that you, you do actually see that very graphically to say, um, probably not as graphic as like Terminator two in that one scene where she's on the fence, you know, that one it's kind of like that is, is a little bit like that scene actually now that I, I think about it. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was very uninteresting. It, it, it was just, it was just so anticlimactic and it didn't hold any sort of like, oh, like there's this artistic metaphor to it. It's like, no, it just was fucking dumb. Like it just was boring. It was just plain. It felt not, it felt like nothing. It gave me no emotion. It didn't make me think, you know, about it or contemplate my own mortality in a situation similar. It just made me be like, Oh, all right. Well, that's the end of the movie. You know, it was very frustrating.
1: This was the Prometheus of disaster movies. Yeah,
0: (laughs) right. It was just, it is, it's so weird because the movie starts off where it's very frustrating. You Uh are frustrated not only with with Justine, but you're frustrated for Justine. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole movie makes you feel frustrated about everything that's going on. And like, you're just like, what the fuck is happening? And then it tapers off to just nothing. Like you feel nothing for anybody or anything that's happening.
1: Yeah. It's, it was, I gotta say, 12 years of looking forward to watching this movie and... I think I heard maybe one or two people early on say, like, yeah, it's not really worth it. I should have just fucking listened to them.
0: Should have fucking <laughs> listened, yeah. You know, we never do, though. We never do listen, do No.
1: No, No, I mean, we this podcast wouldn't exist if we listened to other people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but ironically, you were listening to us uh, talk about it. So, yes. hey, hit that subscribe button so you can get told what movies to like. <laughs> <laughs> to like or not like, Listen, that's not what we do here. That's not what we do.
1: Here. It may take us a long time to reach the right conclusion. But I think, uh, it, you know, 500 plus, no, what, 3, three, three 280? Uh, we're a little over 300. Five well, years. technically,
0: we're at 280.
1: The yeah. number five is in there somewhere. Uh yeah. 280 plus episodes. At this point, I think we know what we're talking about.
0: Just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So this is Melancholia. So this was another movie that we had to rent on demand. It is also streaming on Mubi, uh, M-U-B-I, which I believe is a free channel add-on if you are subscribed to Amazon, I think. I didn't want to go through the hassle of trying to figure that out because same. like timing and stuff like that. But I assume that, you know, much like IMDb TV or something, I think you can watch it for free with ads. Uh, it, you know, it has on many occasion uh, popped up on Hulu. I, I remember seeing both Seeking a Friend for the End of the World and Melancholia on Hulu yeah. as as recently as earlier this year.
1: Yeah, same. Um,
0: so it definitely was, it, it's better. It'll get around again.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, should you watch this? Should you watch this movie?
0: Honestly, I can't say yes. Uh, for several reasons. Obviously, you know, Lars von Trier's right. statements kind of like logistically, those, that's another one that I did not know until after this, yeah. um, you know, or had heard and just had forgotten. Um, so obviously for that, don't support him. You know, it's unfortunate because there's a lot of really great actors and actresses in this movie that I would love to support, you mm-hmm. know, all the Scars Guards, John Hurt, uh, John Hurt's estate, Kirsten Dunst, you know, um, but, rah, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah. I I would say if it was possible to remove Lars von Trier from the equation, I would still have trouble recommending this. The only way that I would do it would be to say, plan to watch this as though it is two separate films and do not watch them back to back. Watch part one, watch Justine, and just marvel in the worst planned and executed wedding you've ever seen in your life. Then take a few days, a few weeks, whatever it needs to be, off and come back and watch Claire As a disaster movie, they're both weird. Neither one of them are good, but it will be a better experience. No, honestly, that really is truthful, though, because, like, the Claire movie would have been
0: a chill vibes apocalypse movie. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that would have fit the theme a little better because it is just like... A a distraught family, you know, a broken family, a depressed uh, sister who is suffering from some sort of physical ailment, Mm -hmm. eventually realizing, hey, this is it,
1: you know? The Claire movie is what I thought Melancholia was going to be.
0: Same hundred percent. And, you know, we, we were introduced to a lot of characters early on. Alexander Skarsgård, as an example, Michael, mm-hmm. I thought he was in the whole movie. Yeah. He's really only in the first like 30, 40 minutes yeah. and then that's it. Um, So that was also very interesting. That was a weird, uh, you know, it is a, it is a big shift between part one and part two, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, same. Um, Honestly. Yeah. If you're gonna if y- you still feel like you need to watch it, watch it in two
1: different parts or just watch part two. Honestly, or just watch you, part two. You can yeah. skip part one and not miss any relevant and important backstory to part two. You really uh, would miss nothing. Because in
0: part two, the wedding is never brought up whatsoever. There's nope. no fallout from the wedding. There's nope. no like, well, because of this, because of that. Like, there is zero talk of what happened in the part one in part two. And yes, you 100% could go into part two and just be fine and just and be like, oh, this is the movie and think nothing of it. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there it is. Hey, make up your own mind on it. Let us know, hit us up on socials. You can hit us up at night shift MG on both Twitter and Instagram you know, what did you think? Did you see something we didn't see or is there a greater, you know, more metaphorical picture that maybe we're missing? Uh, Or did you watch the whole movie and be like, well, scientifically and push up your glasses uh, (laughs) while, you know, Googling Neil deGrasse Tyson? Um, You know, if if you did that too, let us know. We would love to hear about it. So, you know, hit that subscribe button. Uh, Make sure you uh, follow us always. We have brand new episodes every Thursday and and Sunday. For those of you who have been listening this month, I've had my daughter on uh, these past bonus. Episodes and we've been talking about a couple of things. We talked about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark, we're talking about Owl House. We've got a lot of cool bonus episodes this month, uh, catching up while Brie is off moving mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. across the country, Woo! uh, again. So <laughs> we'll see you in three more years and she'll be moving to the other side again. It's,
1: uh, I fucking <laughs> hope works. not, honestly. I know, right? <laughs> Unless it's Tacoma, I don't want to move again
0: <laughs> because, as they say, life, life moves, moves slow in Tacoma. Tacoma. <laughs> <laughs> the queen, Imogen Heap. All right. Or uh, Neko Case. Hey, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We super appreciate it, and we
1: will see you next time. Boop.